Welcome back to the Chosen Baseball Journey with Kareem Garcia, Jonathan Aja Cohen. Kareem, welcome, welcome. It's uh, sunny where you are over in Texas. It's freezing here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And with the weather, you know, it's warm in some places, cold in the other. That can only mean that spring training is coming soon. That is correct. I, I guess everybody's excited as we are right now. Absolutely. Just got off the phone with uh, Steve Carsey the other day, and uh, he says people are starting to report. It's uh, incredible, you know, the schedules and everything else. And I always wondered about that because you have some guys an option to choose to come very, very early and some guys that choose to come right at the last minute. I remember back in the day, Kareem, there was always every team had one guy with visa issues, no matter what, you know, and I always thought you knew spring training was coming. You maybe should have set that up a little earlier. So let me ask you from your experience, my friend, uh, in your playing days, how soon did you start thinking about setting up for spring training? And what was your timeline to report usually? I usually try to uh, report early, but you mentioned a lot of guys have uh, visa issues. And the only reason is because they just finished playing the uh, winter ball and they want to get some time to rest. Because right now, they start tomorrow with the Caribbean, the uh, Caribbean series. And it's going to be in Miami this year. So you finish that, and all of a sudden, you have less than a week to report to the team. So some guys try to, you know, say that they forgot their passport, or they haven't got their paperwork. But usually, if you don't do that, if you don't play on the Caribbean series or on the wintertime, you, I usually try to be with the pitchers and catchers, which are the first ones to report. And do you ever recall an instance where you reported late or reported right near the end? Did you ever have any issues as far as uh, reporting-wise, timing-wise for you? Uh, thank God I never had a, that that happen to me. I always report early, and they always get me on the uh, – <laughs> I always came all the way because of the winter time. I, I would eat a lot of stuff, you know, especially in my hometown, and they put me in a, in a, in a program to lose the weight right away in a spring training. You know, I'm always amazed, you know, I've heard stories and I remember I had a buddy of mine that went to Cuba once and he got uh, robbed uh, while he was walking through the streets. You know, it was, a, it was a little kid, little kid, like maybe eight, nine years old and took his bag and ran. Well, his passport was in the bag and you don't stop and think sometimes you lose that passport uh, that's a lot of trouble to replace that. And I'm surprised more guys didn't lose their passports it hit or hit it somewhere because it could take weeks to uh, get get a backup going. So it's actually quite amazing that every guy pretty much finds a way to get the spring training on time. So kudos to them. And, you know, it's a very exciting year this year uh, approaching spring training because we still got so many free agents on the market, you know. It's uh, just recently Justin Turner signed uh, with the Jays. That came out. We still got a few guys on, on, the, uh, on the waiting list. And people kind of joke with me that all the remaining free agents, this is Scott Boris. You know, Scott Boris, super agent, is known for waiting, waiting, waiting back. Tell me, uh, when you were speaking with your agents at the time during your playing days, was there ever a thought, I'm going to wait? I know you like to, to sign early and get it done, but was there ever a thought, you know what, I should wait closer to spring training. Maybe I'll get more money. Never. Never in my mind will ever happen. I try to be uh, as calm and relaxed as possible in my house, 
knowing that I already have my contract done, and all I have to do is prepare for spring training. Some of these guys are, you know, waiting, waiting right now. They might end up getting less money than what they're supposed to get if they would take the money that the teams were offered at the beginning. So, I mean, it's it's uh, it's the flip of the coin, unfortunately for them. You never know what's going on, especially if the team uh, end up signing somebody else in the same position that you play and they can actually play that position for less money. Yeah, there's one case, Adam Altavino, that he declined his Mets option. He's coming back to the Mets, but the contract he signed was less than the option that he had. So sometimes you're play, you're gambling with that. In my picture, Kareem, it's like this. You know, the GMs don't get to make the exclusive decision. You know, there's the president, there's the team owner, right? So especially when you're signing big contracts, you need these things signed off. And in my mind, as a business... You set a budget early on in the offseason for the most part, unless it's Shohei Otani, obviously, and then in which case everything gets blown out of the water. But otherwise, you set your budget. You, If it's me as a team, I come to, let's say I need two positions filled. I come to three free agents for each one. I say, listen, this is my offer. First person to accept it gets the contract. And you notice some guys sign very, very early, and then it feels like the guys that waited, 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 Teams come back and say, hey, I spent my budget already. Sorry, don't have much more money left. And it, it's kind of come to the point now, you're either at the top of the scale, like you're, you're the Otanis of this world, the judges of this world, you're the rookies, and it feels like the middle guys are the ones that are really getting screwed out of this at the end of the day. Well, they are only because the, the agents are telling them, oh, I'm going to get you more money, you know. What, what's more money? Two to three million dollars more? That's what they're thinking, but the way it's going right now, the market, they're making a lot of money already. So might as well start to make a, a multi-year deal for less money and don't have to worry in a couple of years than, you know, gambling every single year for free agents. And I understand free agents for the first time, they're trying to test the market. But unfortunately, in, in the market like today, when you have the show of Tannis and the other guys are going to make the big bucks, it's not going to be a lot of money left for those guys, uh, first-year free agents in the middle of the pack. It feels like those guys, I don't know if you feel the same way, Kareem, but it's the guys in that sweet spot between a 10 to $20 million a year that they're expecting three-year contracts, five-year contracts, that all of a sudden they're signing for one year plus an option, and they're signing for $10 million or less, and they, the money wasn't there for them. And this goes across all sports. I remember there was a case, uh, Dennis Schrader was his name, with the uh, Los Angeles Lakers. And I think they offered him an extension somewhere around $70 million. He declined it. And what does he do the next year? He signs for one year, $5 million. That's a hard conversation to have with your agent, correct? Absolutely. And I have another one uh, a while back when I was with the Detroit Tigers back in 2000 when we started the Comerica Park, the new Comerica Park before the Detroit uh, Stadium. They offered Juan Gonzalez uh, $160 million, something like that, and he declined. And he played only one year and ended up going with uh, Cleveland on a, a one-year basis for $15 million a year. It's funny, you know, I remember Juan Gonzalez when he came. And you remember with the Rangers, you had Juan Gonzalez, you know, and you had Ivan Rodriguez. And, man, those two were as hot as anybody on the planet as far as statistics go. 
And I remember Gonzalez saying at the time he didn't like the dimensions of Comerica. But I got to tell you, my friend, at $160 million, I think I'll live with it. Absolutely. And, and like you mentioned, you know, there was uh, Pach Rodriguez with Ivan. Uh, it was uh, Rafael Palmeiro too with them. And it was Julio Franco. Those four guys were there, you know, more than a road over there with them. I actually, uh, I, I met Palmero right after the Toronto All-Star game. And he was nice enough to give me a bat. And, uh, you know, I was a kid at the time. And uh, I tell you, looking back on Palmero, you know, and we just, and we'll talk about in a couple of weeks about the Hall of Fame voting. But a guy who wasn't huge, huge, you know, he wasn't like Jose Canseco big. But one of the sweetest swings I've ever seen. And I got to say, my, my opinion's always been like this. You can take as much HGH as you want. You can take as much steroids as you want. You can't, still can't swing like that. No, not at all. And I, I was uh, fortunate enough to play with him uh, in Baltimore. We play in Baltimore. And I always loved uh, watching him take bat in practice because he didn't muscle the ball. He was just a, such a sweet swing, natural swing, just like Will Clark back in the days too, you know, another natural swing from a lefty part. So imagine this. Uh, I brought up Will Clark with Rafael Pomero, and he kind of gave me a funny look because I was a big Will Clark fan at the time. Uh, those two went to Mississippi, Mississippi State together. So imagine that college team with Palmero and Will Clark. And we won't even get into the 1984 Olympic team with, uh, at the time, Mark McGuire, Corey Snyder, etc. But, you know, there was a lot of talent coming out of there. There's still a lot of talent coming out of colleges. But now with these dollar figures, you're not seeing them sit in the minors forever because teams have big investments in them. It's a very, very different uh, scenario. And I got to ask you, uh, when it comes to Palmero, something up on, on Palmero, if you had a Hall of Fame vote, would he be on your ballot? I mean, the, the numbers speak for themselves. Whatever he did outside baseball, though they tried to say that he did, that's unfortunate, but I mean, you still got to hit the ball no matter what. You know, hitting the baseball is the most difficult thing to do in any sport, especially when the ball is coming out 95 to 100 miles per hour with a movement, a sinking or a cut. I mean, not any, not too many people can do that. So I got to ask you the difficult question, you know, and again, we're going to get to the Hall of Fame voting because it was very interesting on how that transpired. But I always say you're looking at the guys from the steroid era, right? And there's one guy that nobody ever talks about, and that's Ken Griffey Jr. And it's, it amazes me to no end. You got Gary Sheffield that did not get in at the end, and Sheffield's numbers were incredible. Him and Griffey, when they came up, were 1A, 1B at the time. Uh, their numbers were not that far off relatively. You know, it's funny. Uh, Griffey got a lot of injuries near the end of his career. But it's funny that every single person that played in that generation, there's always the whisper, hmm, did they take something? But nobody tends to bring up Griffey. Why do you think that is? Uh, I think his work ethic, you know, that he showed through his career. Um, and, I mean, you can see the guy was natural. He was always skinny. He never came to spring training from one year to the other, 20, 20 to 40 pounds heavier or stronger. I mean, it's almost impossible unless you're doing something, you know, and he never did. And the other one is... Um, uh, the big Kirk, too. There's another guy that never, that you never heard something from him, you know, Frank Thomas. No one says anything about him because 
as another natural strong guy. That's a very good point, actually, and I appreciate you saying that. I remember meeting uh, Frank Thomas as a rookie. I remember when him, Ventura, were the highly considered guys on the White Sox. Thomas was a tank. He was a tank from day one. It's unbelievable. And the way, when he held a bat, the belt, the bat looked like a toothpick in his hands. He was that big. It was scary to be a, a first baseman and hit, hit him. Even he was a, a right-hander. He'll hit the ball the other way harder than he will pull it to the third base. And that le that level of talent, and that's that's why he's in the Hall of Fame today. Clearly, you know he that is correct. He had the statistics, and and he earned it certainly. Um, now, when spring training, I I I tend to bring up this movie all the time on the show, and uh, Steve Carsey tends to uh, roll his eyes on me when I bring it up. But have you ever seen the movie Major League? Yes, I have. <laughs> A lot of times. So with Charlie Sheen, you know, a hilarious movie, right? And and I gotta ask you. So, having watched Major League, how accurate is Major League compared to actually being in the big leagues? <laughs> no, that's far far away from from reality. You know, I mean, you're not flying on those type of planes like they put up the guys, or the hotels, or you know, the the sleeping over there at the uh, at the baseball field. You know, everything is is completely different. But I mean, it's funny. I mean, if if you tell me there was a minor league team. I will say yes. <laughs> That's pretty close to it. I remember there was a year. I think it was a major league two when they had the Cleveland. They had the Cleveland Indians at the time, right? And they signed yeah. a big free agent, Jack Parkman. He was known as the big home run hitter, and he shows up in his Porsche, and everybody hates him. But he's the home run hitter. As uh, being on enough teams, are are there Jack Parkmans in this world? You know, the big free agent that they're all for themselves. They don't care whatsoever about the team, or is that more myth? Now you find uh, at least one of them on each team. You know, they get the big contract. Plus, it's the first time they get to a new team, and they it's difficult to uh, interact with guys like that because you know the rest of the guys playing with them for years. And this is a new guy with a big contract and supposed to be the savior of the team, but he's a little bit cocky, you know, and and doesn't take anything from no one. I mean, even if you're trying to help him. So they are out there, the Jack Parkmans of this world. So <laughs> where it starts for me with Major League, and we we're talking about spring training, is I remember their first spring training, and they brought these people from all sorts of walks of life, you know, and. I remember vividly, as you get to the end of spring training, as the guys get off the field, they're scared to go to the locker room because they're worried there's going to be a little pink note sitting inside their locker. So is that pink note real, or does that not work that way as far as cuts go in spring training? It probably was back in the 80s or on the, or the beginning of the 90s, but... Um, to me, when I went to spring training uh, back in 95, uh, 96, I should say, um, they just called you to the office. And, you know, when they called you to the office in the middle of spring training, you know, you're going down no matter what. I mean, I was a 19-year-old kid. I mean, I was expecting, you know, to, to go down and bide my time again and, and wait for, for me to be called up. And so did you find generally in spring training – Who's sweating it more? Is it the rookies or is it the veterans on the one-year contracts? 
I think it's the veterans on the one-year contracts because you're still invited to the team. They haven't added you to the 40-man roster at the time. And pretty much the team tells you, you know, at the end of the year, at the end of spring training, we're going to add you. But sometimes happens that this rookie hits 440, 450 in spring training and open everyone's eyes on the on the organization. And they end up getting the the the, the rookie and, and the uh, other guy. They just say, you know what, well, sorry, we don't have a, you know, any spot for you anymore. But, you know, it's funny about spring training statistics, you know, because I, I feed into them every year. I get so excited. I'm saying this is the next Babe Ruth. I'm so excited. This person is can't miss right now. He's hit 700 in spring trading. This guy's hitting uh, 050 in spring trading. This is what's going to happen. And then the regular season starts and everything changes. Why is that, that the regular season when you're in April is so different statistics-wise than spring trading? It's very simple. When you see the, the pitchers, the first couple outings for them, all they have to do is just all they're trying to do actually is throw strikes, try to hit the corners, try to make the pitches. They don't care if they give up a home run or 10 runs, you know, in the first couple outings because they are getting ready for the opening of opening uh, season. And the rookies, they have to go at it right away. So as a hitter, you know, these guys are working on their fastball. You're taking advantage of it, you know, because they're just working on something and you just, basically taking body in practice of them. So they really are working out the kinks in Spring Trade. Spring Trade is not about winning and losing. It's really just getting the arm loose and everything else, I guess. For the pitchers, but I don't know if you remember when Ichiro came to Seattle the first year, yeah. Spring Training, he hit 151, and they say, is this guy going to hit? What, what is this big uh, phenom over here coming from Japan and he's not hitting a Spring Training? He was just testing the, the, the pitchers and see how they were playing. He didn't show anything. As soon as the season starts, you see the real Ichiro, you know, making contact with the ball, running fast, you know, everything that he could, stealing bases. But he was just just working on their on his things, his swing, and uh, whatever he needed to be to be ready. One of the greatest of all time, and a, a pleasure to watch. He was he was unbelievable out there, and I don't know if we're gonna see another Ichiro style out there because that slap hitter type. You know, a lot of guys have tried to replicate that and they end up having 250 averages with a bunch of singles and that's not going to keep you in the majors generally. That is correct. <laughs> so as we sum up today's episode, I'm thinking of one guy in particular and that is on the Texas Rangers, Evan Carter. And surprisingly, with what this guy did in September, what he did in the World Series, he's still a rookie going into this year, technically. Yeah. So if you, if you were going to sit down with Evan Carter, preparing into this year, Everybody's putting him down as the American League Rookie of the Year. He's the next uh, decade-long star for the Rangers. What advice would you give him going into spring training? Basically, yes, yes, to have fun right now in spring training, work on his swing, get back to what he was doing during last year. Because right now is the pressure for him. Everybody's saying, okay, you're going to be the, the next, like you say, Roy, or you're going to be the next uh, so-and-so all-star. And you put a lot of stuff on your head you forget that you're there to work on your swing and try to be ready. I mean, whatever. You can be a pitcher, you can be a hitter, you can be whatever. And they put a lot of stuff in your head. You forget that you actually have to work on something. Well, he's got to stay level. It's it's also a very long season, right? It's uh, yeah. 
when you get it when you're in the minors and you come up in September, very, very different than that grind from April to September in the majors. And how many rookies have we seen that have been great in the first half of the season and then they just seem to run out of juice after the all-star break? A lot of them. And uh, some of them are, are sent to the minor leagues, even to get some at-bats over there and try to relax from whatever this is happening to them in the majors. Amazing. Well, we'll stay tuned, folks. So it's going to be a great spring training, a great 2024 season. When we come up next week, we're going to be talking about, I'm sure, one of Kareem's idols and one of the greatest players to ever come out of Mexico. I want to find out what made them so great. So stay tuned. This is the Baseball Chosen Journey.